Hi, Julie. Hey, Lisa. What a week. What a week. I feel like it's been a month. We've had a lot going on. In fairness to us, we did not record last week. And I, we didn't even touch base to talk about recording because I think we were both so focused on the wild weather between you running Indy and so many of our runners running New York and the polar opposite weather conditions predicted throughout the week last beginning, basically last Tuesday, we were just really triaging for all of our runners. And it's it's really good to be um, on the other side, isn't it, Lisa? That's exactly how I feel on the other side of it. So absolutely. It was a, it was quite a whirlwind of a week and it was a big weekend uh, of marathoning um, that really kind of isn't wrapping up the fall marathon season, but it's sort of like the bulk of marathon season all in one, in one weekend. And like you said, the weather really threw us for a loop for, for a lot of reasons. But, um, but before we get into talking about marathons and marathon weekend, I want to talk about your progress in running because I feel like you've seen some good progress and I know people are invested in hearing about your running and how you've been doing kind of coming out of uh, the COVID fog. Um, so, so talk a little bit about what's been going on with you before we get into marathon talk. Well, first of all, thanks for asking. And um, I was just saying to you, I, I really want to shine the light on you. So I just, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about this, but this was such a big week for you. So I, I will be brief, but Um, As many of our listeners know, I unfortunately um, got COVID for a second time uh, in spite of being fully vaccinated, blah, 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 in August. And uh, I was really discouraged by that, as many of us are, because I felt like I worked really hard after contracting COVID the first time last December um, to recover. I ran Boston, not at my best because of it, and spent the summer really working hard to um, troubleshoot Uh, get my resting heart rate down, listen to my body, blah, blah, blah. And I really was starting to feel like myself by the end of the summer and boom, got it again. So uh, this time what I did a lot differently was I really did not run for almost a full month, just did not run. I walked, but did not run. And I really think that helped, but nonetheless, I'll be completely honest. I've been really frustrated with my running and my progress and just not being able to get out there and run even at an easy pace, feeling like myself. I can, I can only describe it as I've been feeling like I'm kind of running through mud and it feels, my legs just feel very heavy respiratorily and cardiovascularly. I'm good, but my legs feel like mud. And as a result, I just can't seem to get a lot of pep in my step. I've been doing a lot of mobility work, continuing with strain training, but I realize that patience is what I need to have for this. And everyone responds to COVID differently. And I know there's many folks out there that don't experience this, but for those who do, you're not alone. It's what I'm experiencing. And as a result, my easy paces lately have not been reflective of my typical easy paces. Typically an easy pace for me is anywhere between nine and 10 on a real easy day, 1030. And since August, my easy paces are generally between 10 and 11. And that's, that's, a lot for me. That's very different. My cadence is the same. I still feel the same effort, but that's where I land and I don't force it. And so I went out and tried a 5k on Sunday. It was the Rockville 5k in my neighborhood. I love this race so much. I've won it in the past and um, I've also done the 10k and won it in the past. And I'm only giving this as a background because there was a part of me that I didn't want to go. I feel 
um, I don't want to use the word embarrassed. It's not the right word, but I don't feel like myself. And I just didn't feel comfortable being out and about and racing at my best and knowing that my times wouldn't be reflective of all of, of what I can normally do. But I'm a little ashamed to say I felt that way because once I got to the race and I saw all of the College Gardens Run Club kids, the run club that um, I'm so proud to have founded with Jen Green many years ago, it's so old now, the kids don't even know who I am. And that's quite amazing. And seeing all the volunteers and all the folks in my neighborhood and many of our um, MCPS employee runners and many of our MCRC friends. I don't know why I was in my head so much. It, it was stupid. And I'm so glad I went. I warmed up by running with the kids, the mile race. I think we did about a 13 minute mile while um, one of the kids, of course, was crying with her arm up because she had a side stitch. So we weren't really running. It was more me saying, you can do it. And she's sobbing, but we were too far from her parents to like go back. So we turned around and we got through it. And uh, she did great and she was super proud and forgot all about it, but I digress. And um, the 5K, I just got out there and ran when I could. And I ended up averaging um, a 7.15, a 7.18 pace and didn't look at my watch till after and then looked after. And I was really proud of that. Of course, that's not typically what I run for that race, but darn, I'm, I am so proud of that because that effort was everything I had and uh, really shows some progress for me and shows that I am going to be able to generate some power pretty soon. And this is a really good start. And I crossed the finish line and I, I still feel like such a high from that because I realized that I am making progress and I, I think I'm going to be okay for Boston this year. I feel like if I can continue on this trajectory and really continue running super easy, I will be able to train for Boston and not overly deplete myself or cause myself to get into a training hole. So that's where I am right now. Thank you so much for asking. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to keep talking about this because I know I'm not alone. I know there's so many people out there dealing with this. And I think the more that we talk about our own individual experiences with recovering from COVID, um, I think it's just more information is better. No one has any information that they can say is correct, but I think just the more data we can give each other and more feedback, the more informed we can be with respect to our training and how we approach our running. And what else are you doing? I mean, is there, do you feel like you're doing other things that are kind of supporting your progress other yes. than patients? Yes. One thing I'm doing um, is I'm getting, um, I started getting some massages. Uh, I'm not a big massage person. I, frankly, financially, they're expensive. And I feel like I, I have a Theragun and I foam roll, but uh, I really realized I needed some, an expert to really work on my muscles and kind of get them to feel less sticky. And it turned out that um, my, my fascia is really tight and um, my circulation, according to two of the massage therapists I've seen so far over the past month, they both commented separately that um, my joints feel quote unquote sticky. And I do think there's a correlation. So I'm having um, that done about once every 10 days and I'm continuing with my strength training and my strength training could also includes a lot of mobility work. And I think mobility is really critical, especially when you're feeling stiff and sticky and all the words I'm using. So those are the things I'm doing and mentally working on strain training for me and being able to lift heavy weight and have goals with respect to that really helps me um, mentally make some progress when I can't really control what's happening with my running right now. I love that. I think that's great. And, and, it, and it certainly builds a great base for when you start building for, for the marathon on again to have all that strength. 
Yeah, hopefully. So let's talk about you. Um, so Lisa, first of all, huge congratulations. Um, I was so excited to talk with you on Saturday right after you crossed the finish line, had an amazing indie race. And uh, before we start talking about the actual race, I'd like you to tee it up and explain what went through your mind before you decided to fly out to Indy and the conversations that you and I had with respect to your decision tree and why you felt it was the right decision for you <laughs> as opposed to some other runners who opted not to do Indy and why that would be the right decision for them. Yeah, it was, it was a big um, a big wild card. And I think you remember I was going back to our text to see, but I have to scroll so far back since we have so many texts to see. When I texted you, I think it was on, we left on Thursday. So I think on Wednesday, um, I texted you with what would you do if you were me? And I sent you the forecast, which um, for you know anyone who's playing along and likes to look at long-term forecasts for a good week and a half before Indy, you know, or at least when I started looking at the forecast, probably a week out, it looked actually warm and there was a front that was supposed to be coming through and originally it was planned on the forecasts are coming through on Sunday. So Saturday's forecast was actually for record highs, like 78. And you know me, I love warm weather. So I was like, yes, it looks like a beautiful day. I already had actually packed like, you know, shorts and a sports bra. And I was like, could very excited about that. And then I think it was on Thursday that um, it, the, the forecast changed so that the front would be coming through on Saturday. And, uh, and, and the weather forecast had changed dramatically to where, um, there were going to be, uh, you know, heavy winds, storms, um, and, uh, I'm still scrolling back to see if I can find when, when our, oh, here we go. So I'd asked you at 1.56 PM on Wednesday, what would you, would you change plans if you were me? Because the forecast said, we'll be on the warm side of the storm track. Um, please note significant forecast changes have been made to our Saturday forecast with the arrival of a frontal battery Saturday morning or midday versus Saturday night. This earlier arrival means an earlier arrival of wind whipped rain and some thunderstorms. Widespread severe storms are not expected, but widespread strong wind gusts are. Gusts go from 30 plus miles per hour Friday evening to 40 to 50 miles per hour Saturday. The latter could cause power outages with or without thunderstorms. The wind will have major impacts to runners in this year's monumental marathon. So I saw that and I immediately texted it to you and said, oh crap, what do I do? And I spent the afternoon on Wednesday, mind you, we're leaving Thursday, um, you know, frantically scrambling Paul, Paul, who was going with me to run as well. We were both kind of frantically scrambling through um, the marathon, uh, find my marathon calendar to see what else was available. We found the Marshall University Marathon, which is in uh, West Virginia, and we checked the forecast for there. We checked that one, and uh, we're, we're, we're almost half convinced that we were going to run that one. And, um, you know, after a lot, a lot of scrambling and a lot of um, stress and angst, um, it is like almost too much effort and too much cost. Oh, that was the other thing I had checked my, the, the, the deadline to cancel the hotel had passed because it was so close to when we were going to arrive. So I was sunk with the hotel costs. Um, so between that and the fact that the forecast was not great really anywhere, as we know, especially from New York's, uh, New York's forecast, the, the forecast wasn't great anywhere. Um, and there was really no easy plan B that at some point I kind of just threw my hands in the air and said, let's just go and see what happens. The forecast could still change. Um, so we left on Thursday and I repacked my bag with like every possible, uh, I packed my, my rain jacket, I packed a hat, I packed body glide, I packed uh, long sleeves, I packed short sleeves, I packed a tank, I packed a sports bra, I packed just kind of everything and threw it all in the bag and thought, 
let's go. And we have runners running the race um, uh, who are also asking whether or not they should run. And, you know, again, like you said, some people decided uh, not to, and we advise some of our runners not to, because conditions, even if they were just warm, which is one of the, you know, one of the, the part of the forecast was going to be in the 60s and muggy. Um, if it was just warm or if it was just windy, um, e either of those alone could not be ideal and would really set anybody off their goal, you know, at least five minutes. So if somebody is really looking for a specific goal that they were trying to hit, th those weren't going to be the conditions um, to be perfect. So, um, so, yeah, you know, just, we, yeah, go ahead. Point out, like when we say specific goal, basically we've got a few runners who are seeking a, had already done their fall marathon and we're using Indy to get a BQ. Like they didn't need it for the experience. They wanted a specific goal. So and they needed a perfect day for it. If you, so if you needed yeah. a perfect day for your goal, if you're somebody who was on the edge of your goal and you needed a perfect day for it, you know, I looked at it, um, Paul and I both talked um, before we went. And I said, look, really all I wanted out of this, I wanted to experience uh, Indy Monumental. I'd never been to Indianapolis. We've heard great things about the race, like it was just the race I wanted to do. And really at the end of the day, what did I want? I wanted a, ideally would love a BQ for 2024. So that was off my list and I'd have to worry. I, I always like to go into Boston in April without having to worry about the BQ for the next, you know, the next day. It's just nice to not have that and plate. for you, a BQ um, based on your age for 2024 and, and based on what your easy pace is for your long runs, you knew even if you had a, I have a big day, cushion. Right. you'd be okay. Right. I'm not but, somebody who was on the edge of, you know, like needed that, you know, that, that immediate, that, that, that I had a big cushion, right? Yeah. And I just feel like it's important to know this because I see a lot of, of, of people commenting, well, you should just settle for the day you have because that's what you should, you should always work through those conditions. But I agree with that to an extent, but I, I no shame on anyone who opted out of this race or a race in similar conditions because you were seeking a certain time. And you knew in those conditions with 60 mile per hour wind gusts, it wouldn't be possible. No shame. Right. Absolutely. That, that was, yeah, that had gone through my head too, was what the discussion that I was having with Paul is like, we had a really good training cycle both of us. And I, you know, I had some really good tune-up races. I felt really good going into this race. And I asked, is it a waste to go to a race where you know you're not going to hit your potential after you had such a great training cycle? And so even for somebody who may not have a, that specific goal that not have a lot of cushion, that would definitely went through. Did I want to quote unquote waste a really good training cycle? I felt like I had a really good race in me when I just went into it knowing that I wasn't going to be able to. There's just no possible way. So again, we kind of just said, you know what, we have this booked at the very least. I, you know, I didn't even know in my head, I thought, what if they cancel the race? Like if the winds are that bad and they have to cancel the race and we go and there's no race. But I said, you know what, hotel costs are sunk. We've got other runners that are going that did decide that they were going, they were going to go do the race again. They didn't have, you know, such tight time goals that they couldn't, um, that, you know, they were, they were nervous about that. So they, they also were excited to go. So I said, we're going. So we, we went, um, and what was really fun was I texted you when we, we got in on Thursday night and we got into the Westin Hotel. Um, for anybody who is thinking about running Indy next year, um, the Westin is a great location, beautiful hotel, great service, and it is literally located at the finish line and um, a half a block from the start line. So we could actually see from our window the way our window face, we could see the start finish area and we watched in the morning until we headed out. So if you're headed to Indy, um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the JW Marriott's also right there, but the Westin is like 
right, right at the fin at the finish line. So um, highly recommend it. So we walked into the Westin and we got in line um, to check in. And there was a woman and man in front of us and their backs were to us, but the woman had a McCurdy train sweatshirt on. And I kind of nudged Paul and I said, oh, that's funny. I said, you know, a lot of uh, our guests that we've had on, um, on the podcast, specifically thinking of Heather Peck, who we've had on before, um, who was the age group champion for uh, at Boston for, uh, was it 50, 55, 55, 59, when she stood at age group at that time? I'm forgetting now. But in any case, we've had her on our podcast before. I made a mention. I said, oh, that's funny. McCurdy Train, you know, that's, uh, we've had podcast guests from, from there before. And then I noticed, too, that she still had on the Boston wristband from October 2021 Boston, when we had to show our COVID vaccine um, cards, you got a wristband that was like a, a ribbon. And I know I kept mine on for like a month after, but then eventually just was like, all right, I have to cut it off and, and took it off. But I noticed she still had it. Now this is like almost it's over two years, right? Are we, oh, you know, we're like, yeah, a year and a half after, right? And I was like, wow, she still has her bracelet on. So I went to go like mention it to her. I, I said, oh, wow, I'm really impressed. You still have your Boston bracelet on. And as she turned around and looked at me and said, started talking, I was like, oh my gosh, it's Heather. So it was Heather Peck right in front of us. And I said to her, I said, Heather, she recognized me. I recognized her, gave me a big hug. It was really nice to talk to her. So um, immediately, you know, we both said, what are you thinking? Like what, what's going on? And Heather had spent a couple months in Flagstaff, uh, really training really hard with a specific goal of breaking. She's now 60. So, and, and first of all, Heather looks amazing. She looks like she's like 25, um, but she's 60 and she, um, you know, had really put a lot of work into training to break the record for the 60 plus age group in the marathon, which I think is 301. So I think she was you know, aiming to go under that. She put a lot of work into that. And she looked at me and she said, it's not going to be anybody's day. She said, you know, we were hearkening back to Boston 2018 and, you know, kind of uh, saying that that year people were about 15 minutes off their time. So she was guessing that this year, because it wasn't going to be a headwind the entire way, but only half the way that maybe people would be about 10 to 15 minutes off their times. And we both said, you know, that's, that's what it's going to be. And that's, you know, kind of just the reality we're, we're dealing with and had a nice conversation. Um, and she reached out after through Instagram to invite Paul and I to go to the um, McCurdy shakeout run the next morning, which was really nice. So I'll get to that, but um, so it was just really nice, nice to see her. So, um, you know, we got checked in, we got settled in. I was obsessively checking the weather every two seconds to see if it had shifted and had changed. It had not a lot of stress um, going into that, a lot of um, anxiety and a lot of just kind of negativity and feeling really bummed again, I kept going through my mind again, that thought of like, I really put in a lot of training. I felt really good coming into this. Um, is this going to be a waste? And am I going to like, for lack of a better word, trash my body, but like put all my effort out on a marathon that isn't going to be ideal. And it was a little bit um, resentful. It was a little bit, this is unfair. I just kept thinking this is so unfair. And I was really dwelling on it. And um, next morning we woke up and we did go out for the for the shakeout run, which was a really nice um, gathering just right across the street from our hotel. Um, got to meet James and Heather McCurdy. Uh, they were great. They gave a really great um, kind of pep talk to everybody. And, um, you know, I just wanted to repeat what Heather McCurdy, uh, her kind of her main message. And it really got me out of my funk. I think it was kind of a turning point for me. And I think it's just a really important message. She came and she said, the day is not going to be the day everybody kind of hoped for. It is going to be a tough day. You are not, she said, just accept now, you are not going to get your goal time in those conditions. She said, sit with that, accept it. She said, go back to your hotel room, set your 
alarm for 30 minutes, 60 minutes, scream into a pillow, say it's unfair, yell, whatever you have to do, punch your pillow, get pissed, get angry, cry, whatever you need to do, and then stop and put it aside. She said, because if you get to the start line the next morning and you are still holding on to that, the moment that gust of wind hits you, you will crumble. And she said, and you know, you have to, you have to run on the day. If you're going to run tomorrow, you have to run on the day that you're given. So that was a really good, I thought, piece of advice. And that helped me in my mind think, you know what, you're at a little outside. This is the day we've got. So um, we had a really nice shakeout run, got to meet a lot of, um, of, of, of really nice runners, great runners, runners who have one thing I will say about C about, about Indy Monumental is that it actually reminds me of CIM and that it attracts a lot of really top runners with really, um, really aspirational goals. Most of the people we met were trying to go for an Olympic trials qualifying time, um, women especially. So a large group of women trying to go for the Olympic trials qualifying time, which is now 237. It was 245, it's been lowered to 237. And a lot of runners aiming to go sub three. So the, the field of runners is like, normally you go to a race and, you know, you talk to people, what are your goals? And they're like, oh, look, four hours, five hours. Like everyone we met was like, yeah, I'm trying to go sub three. I'm trying for an OTQ. Like it was, uh, it, it's an impressive and um, really uh, hardworking group of, of runners that are that are there. So it was, um, it was just neat to meet a, a lot of people. I had a nice shakeout. Indy is a beautiful city, very runnable um, from the downtown. Uh, you can go along the canal or the river and just a nice, nice place to run. And of course, Friday was beautiful. <laughs> the weather was like 70s and sunny and everybody was outside and it was so nice. And you just know what's coming next. So you keep watching the news and you see what's coming. And every time they do the forecast and they'd show the front coming through, it would be like 8 a.m. Like, we're expecting the heaviest winds from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. And you're like, that's exactly the time. And it's like, wow, how is that? How is that? It became sort of a joke. So uh, Friday, we spent the day, we went to um, the expo, very nice expo. It's relatively small, but um, had a lot of um, a lot of uh, races represented there. So we kind of walked around and got to talk to and learn about some of the races that we as East Coast runners, I feel like don't hear about as much. So Black City, um, which is in the spring, um, the Air Force uh, Air Force Marathon, which is in uh, in September. So we got to just kind of get, uh, you know, talk to some of the representatives from some of those races. Um, it was really nice. Got to meet up with a few of our runners, Julianne Warden, who was there. Um, uh, I got to see her and her husband and meet her training partner, Leanne and her husband. And we got to chat with them. Um, Rabbi Lori, our, you know, our, one of our, has been on our podcast before and is a dear friend and, uh, and run farther and faster alum. Um, she was there. Um, Jessica Averbuck, one of our other runners was, was there as well. So got to meet up with, um, Lori, uh, at the expo, um, meet one of her friends who was there, um, Garrett, who who had also run with her on her um, on the Heather Abbott team for Boston. So it was just really nice for a place that we didn't know anybody. It was nice to see some familiar faces and connect with some of our runners and talk to them about you know plans for for the next day. What what we were gonna you know what was what was strategy and and um, and I think it's worth talking about that for a little bit. The the Indy course um, runs north first for the first half for about 13 miles. It runs north and then it turns south and the winds were going to be coming from the south. So um, you know, my strategy, my personal strategy and that I recommended to our runners as well um, was uh, not to go out too fast, 
but to conserve energy in that first half when we would probably have a little bit of a tailwind. And that it would be okay to be a little bit faster in that first half, knowing that as soon as you hit the half and turned around, we were gonna have um, that headwind. So I, I made a conscious decision to, um, I went into the race hoping for a sub 315. Like I, I figured from the, from the races I had done earlier, um, I, I thought I was probably in shape on a great day to run about a 315, um, maybe somewhere between a, you know, sub 315. So my decision for race day, which was a little bit risky, but really just it played into the fact that we had that tailwind, um, was to start with the 310 pace group. Uh, I think pace groups were key on a day like uh, Saturday because pace groups are where the biggest group of people would be, which would shelter you from the wind once we hit the wind. But in order to be with a pace group, kind of had to start with a pace group. So it was like, you really couldn't go out the first half on your own and then hope to find, I mean, you could, I guess, hope to find a pace group at the half. My thought in my head was I better hang on to a pace group so that when the wind hits, I can be, I can have that, that shelter. So I, I decided um, that I would start with a 310 pace group, which I knew would take me out a little bit fast, but then would build me a little bit of time. But I also knew it wasn't so fast that I was going to um, burn out. I knew that it was within my within my reasonable range. Um, so I started out with the 310, um, decided to start out with the 310 pace group. And, and that's just a little bit what we talked about on Friday was, um, was strategy and it's okay to be a little bit faster in the first half as long as you weren't working harder. So using that tailwind to, 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 to help you save energy while running at a little bit faster pace. Um, so we talked about that. Um, again, obsessed over the weather. Um, I kind of debated of what I was going to wear. So temperatures were um, forecast to be pretty warm, like in the 60s. Um, but in my mind, I'm always cold. And I thought rain, wind, I'm going to be cold. And so even up till like really, um, I think until I woke up on, on Saturday morning, I was debating, do I go in like a tank or do I go in long sleeves? And um, decided the last minute on, on Saturday morning to go, go with the tank. And I'm really, really glad I did that. Um, because it actually, uh, despite the wind and, and the rains, uh, it was humid and it was warm. So I was, so I was glad I did that. So, um, yeah, so I guess, you know, Saturday, Friday, um, kind of kept it low key. We found a, a Cadoba, <laughs> a, a good bowl of rice and beans and, um, carbs for, and, and of course the candy that you gave me, thank you. Like you, Julie, you're so sweet. You dropped off a sweets bag for me before. So that, that fueled me. That was my candy. I sat in bed and ate my bag of candy that Julie gave me. So thank you. And a, and a great bracelet that had a, a, a very important mantra for me for the weekend, inhale, exhale, which I really needed at the point that you dropped that off for me, because that's when I was still panicking about the weather. Um, so, you know, we just had our, had our, an early dinner, um, kind of hung out in the hotel room and went to bed, not quite sure what we were going to wake up to in the morning. And, um, Woke up, turned on the news immediately to see what was going on with the forecast. And I think I took a couple of pictures that I eventually posted um, on my social media, on my Facebook page of like, we were literally watching this line of storms move closer and closer. And they were like, yeah, they'll hit downtown Indy at about 7.45, 8 a.m., which is the start. The start was at 8 a.m. We were just like, what? Like, and then they were showing the estimated wind gusts up to like 44 miles an hour, which we're going to pick up throughout the morning too. So it said like at eight, they were only going to be like gusting to 20, but by like 10 a.m. they were going to be gusting to 40 to 50. So just as we would be turning around to come back, like, you know, it's like, this if you could be such, 
this is giving me such Boston 2018 vibes, just the whole like buildup, even though that was much colder, just the, that you just gave me like a flashback of you and I in our hotel room, looking at the screen, um, the meteorologist map of the gusts coming toward us, like a, like a hurricane. You know, as it was the same, same thing. Like, honestly, except, and the only consolation I had and, and truthfully, when, you know, we talked to other people about it, a lot of them had been at Boston in 2018 and they all said it can't be as Boston, bad as Boston. And it, I mean, again, the consolation was it was going to be warmer. It was not going to be as cold. And I mean, that to me would be, would have been, I, I may have stayed in my hotel room and not gone out to run the race if it was, it was identical to Boston. So that was the consolation. So um, like I said, our hotel had a great um, view of the finish and start area. So we kind of just watched out the window until we saw a lot of people headed over to the start corrals. Um, uh, and we could see the winds whipping all the flags and even the grasses. You could see there were these like kind of tall grasses that were like sideways and we're like, oh no. Um, and sure enough, you know, we went down, probably we left the hotel, I think it's 740. So really it's that close. It was a five minute walk to the corral. You could again, see the corral. So five minute walk over to the corrals, everything very well organized, communication. Um, it was dark. That's the other thing is just to mention anyone doing Indy because it's before we change the clocks it was Saturday and that's always I think how it is um is this Saturday before the Sunday that we change the clocks it was you know the eight o'clock start sunrise wasn't until a little after eight so uh you know we were staging in the dark so just something to kind of keep in mind getting ready in the dark and of course as we're getting into the corrals um, um and I will mention I used my poncho I had a throwaway poncho that I've had I think since like Boston 2019, just in case it rained again, and haven't had to use it in, you know, three years. So I still had that throwaway poncho. So I wore that to the start. Um, and, uh, and as soon as we got into the crowds, down comes the rain and the wind picks up. And it was like, we were all in the crowd, just sort of laughing of like, of course, like, of course, it's starting now. And of course, here come the rains. And, um, and you know what, it just was what it was. And all of us kind of just accepted that that's, that's what it was going to be. So tossed off the off the poncho and, and, you know, gun went off and away we went and you run south for about a half a mile or three fourths of a mile before you turn then east and then turn north. So we did run into it just a little bit. I don't think the winds were that, that terrible at that point or you could feel them, but they were not blowing you down. So for, for what I remember. So um, I will say one of the, not, I wouldn't say critiques, but one of the things I would mention about Indy is the roads are a little rough. So um, a lot of potholes, a lot of like, you know, juts in the road so something just to keep out and the roads were kind of rough for those first I mean I think for the whole time there was a, and and then we were dealing with them like twigs and branches in the road and things that were blowing through the road but the the roads are a little bit rough so I'm um, just something to that I noticed too especially when you're watching your footing in the rain and um, in the dark in the first few miles so um, I stuck with the 310 pace group um, went out the first mile pretty slow. They, they did a good job pacing the first mile, um, but then they really picked it up the second mile. And I will say like, as uh, the thought that was going through my mind was don't lose the pace, I'll lose my shelter once we get a headwind. And I didn't want to lose the pace group. Um, but I would say by about mile 10, I feel like it was a little fat for me. And I just knew that I had to like read in and had to run my own race. So um, the let me ask you something yeah. was, was mm -hmm. the pace group, was the pacer running faster than what he or she should have run for that pace? Or was it just that you felt it was fast? What, what, what was no, that? 
So they were running, I think, I didn't talk to him beforehand, but I'm guessing his strategy was to go out a little fast, to, uh, similar to what I was thinking, is go out and, you know, conserve energy, don't push, but use the wind when it's at your tail, when it's at your back to gain a little time. Because I, so I let them go at mile 10, which is right at the point where your friend saw me, <laughs> I, I, I love was running and, um, you know, I was in probably a small group at that point. And, and on the side of the road is a woman and she goes, Hey, I know you. And I kind of ignored her because I thought, well, she doesn't know me. She must have somebody else around here. And she said, you're from DC. I'm Julie's friend. <laughs> and I was just like, of course, every city I go, somebody knows Julie. So I turned around and I was like, Oh my gosh, that's how she was actually talking to me. So that was, um, that was nice. And that was right when I had started to let the pace group go away at about mile 10. And I still went through the half in one sub 135. So the 310 group must have gone through the half, I'm guessing in about 133 to 134, because I was just over 134 through the half. That's, so they were a little hot. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, a little bit you, hot. I, you and I have talked about this for a long time about the risk of using pace groups. And in, in, in this instance, your reasoning for using a pace group was simply to help you uh, block wind but generally speaking, this, this often is experienced. No shade on the pacer. I know it is so difficult to pace a marathon, particularly in these conditions, but it's always something to keep in mind. Rarely do I ever hear someone say the pacer did a perfect negative split, or it just seems like a lot of times when you run out with a pace group, you do risk going a tad bit too fast. And so um, yeah, kudos to you, Lisa, for recognizing you might've been pushing you know, in the red zone a little bit too much too early in your race and, and, and taking a risk by draw backing off the pace group when you really felt you might need it. Uh, I think that was a really smart decision. So props to you and I had to. To, yeah. And, yeah. and shout out to Meredith. Uh, that's super funny. She, uh, sent me a message right after she saw you at mile 10 and said, I just saw your partner, Lisa. I recognize her from your pictures. Meredith and I went to law school together and she lives on mile 10 of the, uh, in the monumental course. So that was random. incredible. I don't know how she like saw me or picked me out or especially in the weather, like that, that was, that was, and that was a pick me up that I needed at that point, because like I said, I started letting the, the, the pace group pull away and I was like, Oh, am I going to, am I going to be screwed when we turn at mile 13 and I have nobody to shelter, shelter behind. Um, so I was getting a little bit, a little bit nervous, but, um, but so it was really nice to see her. So, you know, um, again, uh, the first, uh, those miles are headed North. So for whatever tailwind we had, which did not feel like a lot of tailwind, but it did not feel, we certainly didn't have a headwind. And I will say those first 13 miles because of that felt very humid and warm. And I remember thinking, I am so glad I did not wear long sleeves and that people were going to be suffering in that he, I don't mind it. I, you know, I love the warm, but I, even I, I kept reminding myself to take my um, salt stick shoes. I was, I was religiously taking, I did do Martin um, right before the start this time. So about 15, not even right when I was in the crowd, maybe 10 minutes before the start, I took a Morton and I took it every five miles this time. So that was about every 35 to 40 minutes, I would say about originally about every 35, I did it on the mile markers this time instead of the, um, my time, because I wasn't really watching my watch, to be honest, I was watching first the pace group, I was trying to stay with them. And then I was just paying attention to my footing. And I wasn't really looking at my watch. So I didn't want to have to worry about every 30 minutes. So I was just going by the mile marker. So every five, fifth mile marker, I was taking another Morton and I was taking the salt stick caps. And I just remember, you know, reminding myself as a, about mile 10, as it was feeling really humid and hot, 
to like keep up with electrolytes, keep up. Oh, the other thing I should mention, um, something that I thought of right before um, the race, like I guess on Friday, was that if winds were going to be so high, I was worried about the water stations not having water. Like Paul was telling me he had run Philly one year, it was really windy and water cups were just flying off the tables and they didn't have any to hand out to the runners. So there would be water stations where they just couldn't even get water because they're just, they, were, they couldn't, the volunteers couldn't keep a hold of them. Um, so I thought, I, I was a little nervous about not, you know, having water stations that I couldn't get water. So I bought at the expo, a um, one of those soft handheld um, water bottles. Like they're like the ones that are, you know, the, it's not a bottle. It's like a, like, a, uh, what is it? You know, like the plastic flat, like a, like a soft, like, I don't kind know of like the material of the kidney that's inside of a camel. Yeah. Like yeah. a, like, exactly, exactly. So it's a soft one. So I bought, I found a cheap like imitation brand one. Cause I thought if I toss it, I toss it. And I bought that and I carried it with me. I've never, other than Boston, the hot Boston in 2012, I've never carried a water bottle. And I was really glad I had it. The water stations were fine for the first half of the course. Cause I think maybe the winds hadn't picked up yet. So people were able to get water, but I didn't have to worry about it. Every time I went through, I kind of just took it from, I reminded me to take water, but I took it from mine. I started taking water from like maybe a mile eight, I think is when I started taking it to conserve my water in my water bottle. And because they were available, they, if they were there, I would take them. But I kept reminding myself to hydrate, take my salt stick and, um, and, and take my nutrition. Um, so, you know, mile 13, we hit and, and we turned sort of first Southwest and then South and there was the wind. <laughs> and all of a sudden it was like, oh boy, here we go. And just to know you've got a second half of a race where you've got to kind of navigate that. And so I would just look for people and get behind them and, um, you know, and just kind of stick with them. And um, there were times it would let up. There were times where we'd kind of go more west than south. So it would be more of a side wind. So it wasn't as bad. Um, it really, I mean, it, it was not great. And um, I will say by mile, um, probably 17, a lot of people walking a lot. I've never seen, I don't think on course, so many people walking or not even that people sitting on the side of the road or people sitting each um, aid station also had a medical Every single one had people sitting at it wrapped in, you know, silver blankets um, that had dropped out. Um, a lot of people. So it, it, there was really, you could just tell whether it was the heat and humidity or it was the wind and the rain. It was definitely, it was, it was having its, its effect on people. Um, so that's, that's discouraging too. Like you don't want to look too closely. You want to just keep going because you just know um, that that's, that, that people are hurting at that point. And, 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 you know, just to emphasize that so much of that is just how you are biologically, like some people can withstand more humid conditions better than others. And when it sneaks up on you in a race like this, when you're much more concerned about the wind and while there is humidity, that's not necessarily the bigger issue. Certainly someone who maybe isn't drinking quite as much as they think they need just by virtue of being distracted by the wind. I could see that catching up with you by mile 13 and your body just shutting down because you just didn't have enough electrolytes in you um, to be able to with sustain the pace that you had started running originally. Yeah. And I think too, just, just a lot of people's physiology that they just don't do well in heat. And if it's over 60 degrees, they just, it, you know, it's, it's very hard. Um, I, I feel fortunate that, you know, I can tolerate I, I like the warmer weather and I can tolerate it and I'm more comfortable in it, but fully recognizing that most people, and we see this on Sunday in New York city, that you could be the best prepared. You could be hydrated. You could have your electrolytes. You could have everything planned perfectly. And you just, your body just starts to shut down in those conditions. So saw a lot of that, um, had a couple of nice, like, um, experiences. Uh, I don't remember exactly what mile it was at probably mile 
20 or so, I think, um, I, I came up on a woman who was walking and I looked at her and I said, come on. I said, come with me. Like you can, you can do it, pick it up. And she picked it up. She, she picked it up. She started running with me and she was going pretty fast. And I was like, oh crap, like she's, she's fast. I was like, I thought she was suffering. Um, and so then I wanted to, and then she would kind of motion to me, like stay with me. And then, um, and, and so we ran together for a couple of miles, kind of doing that of like, come on, you got it. Come on, you got it. Come on, you got it. And, um, and I, I felt like I was pushing pretty hard with her. I was like, thought I was helping her and slowing down for her, but she, she was pretty fast. And, and we did that back and forth until she just stopped at like maybe mile, it was probably 21 or 22. She just stopped. And I said, no, come on, come on. She said, no, I'm done. And she said, you go, I'm done. And um, so it was just, it was just like kind of an unspoken, un unspoken thing together. It was just like this, like kind of nodding to each other and encouraging each other. It was really just like an unspoken, like you got that, come on, like you, and then when she'd get a little ahead of me, she'd look back and like kind of nod her head of like, come on. And then I'd get ahead of her and it's the same thing. And it was just like a nice unspoken. I wish I could find her. I had no idea her bib number. I just know what she looked like from the back actually, because I had seen her from the back when she was walking. And um, it was just like a nice, uh, it, it was a good way to get through those couple of miles when, and it was really, really tough. And then um, the, the hardest part of the course were the last probably uh, two to three miles. First of all, it had gotten later and the winds had picked up. That's when the biggest wind gusts came. We're probably around 10, 30, 11 o'clock, which is right before I finished. Those were the strongest wind gusts. And you were literally coming straight south into, into Indy when it's just like a wind tunnel. And it was almost like laughable. And at that point, it was um, fun. Uh, at the shakeout run, I had met a woman named Tara, who we had talked to for, for a little bit during the shakeout run. And, um, uh, and as I'm coming up on those miles, I see her. And um, so I ran next to her and I said, hey, how are you doing? And, and so we, we ran together and encouraged each other. And, um, at, you know, again, we were kind of just laughing at some point. Her hat fell off, her hat flew off at one point. She actually stopped to turn around to go get it. I was like, just let that hat go. Like, I, can't, I don't even know how you bend down to pick it up. But she did. And she actually then caught back up to me. She was, she was actually, you know, running pretty strong. But I mean, there were times when we were almost stopped by the winds and we were just looking at each other like, I don't even know, like holding onto our hats and like, we didn't even know. And at that point, the water stations did not have, those were where all the water had blown off the table and they did not have any water. Like that, that was definitely the most wind whip part of the course. So when that was happening and you were in the last few miles, which is always the hardest part of any marathon, um, did you, did you look at your watch and did you know if your pace had changed and if it had, how did you handle that and keep going without feeling too discouraged or wanting to quit? That's a good question. That reminds me that at about before that point, probably, I don't remember where, uh, um, probably in the 18, 19 mile maybe closer to 20, um, the 315 pace group came up on me and I thought, oh good, a group to hang with. I can like hang with this group. And I did, I was able to stay with them for a couple miles. Um, but I also knew that the 315 group passing me, like you start to see your time start, you know, that you're, you're kind of slowing down. So I, to answer your question, I, I didn't really look at my watch. I had at, at about mile 20, I had calculated, I think that if I could finish, if I could at least hold eights, eight minute miles, that I could finish in the 315 to 320 range and that I would be perfectly happy with that. Because going into it, when originally, you know, originally when the weather was nice and I thought sub 315 would be great, I then revised my plan to sub 330 would be great. And then it, when I at a mile about 20, when I said, okay, if I can just hold eights, then I can finish in the 315 to 320 range. I was delighted. I thought that would be well beyond what I thought going in with this weather. So That's I thought so if I could just hold on to eights, 
And so every mile I did, it was, I just want to tell you, I do that all the time at the end of a marathon. I like bargain with myself. Yes, exactly. It's that bargain. I could do nines. What if I do nines for the next nine times six is 54. That's six minutes less than an hour. Let me look at my watch. Okay. If I'm six minutes less than an hour here, that still puts me at three 30. I'd be happy with it. So yes, in my head, I'm like, okay, if I can just, and then what I say is like, if for as many miles as I can get under eight, that buys me a little extra like buffer time. So I kind of was looking as my watch would beep, which I don't even know if it was at the mile markers at that point, you know, I wasn't too far off, but um, I would just look to see if it was under eight and I was able to hold a sub eight through about 23, I think. So I knew that those last three miles, as long as I could just, you know, keep moving forward, that I would finish somewhere in the range of 315 to 320, whether it was going to be 319, 318, 317, I knew I'd be somewhere in that range. And at that point I was just like, just get me to the, get me to the finish line. Um, so yeah, so those last few miles were really just a fight. And, and again, everywhere, people walking, people on the side. Um, I saw, you know, somebody kind of collapse, not collapse, or sitting on the side of the road with a volunteer helping was flagging down a bike, one of the bike medical spotters to come help them. And you really have to like get that out of your head because that's, that's, you know, it can be really mess with you when you see people dropping on literally people, like one woman dropped to her knees, um, you know, and, and other volunteers were helping her get up. And it was just, um, and, and at that point too, in the course, the, um, the, at miles about 23, I think it is maybe 23 and a half, the um, full and a half rejoined. So you're rejoining with the, you know, three plus hour half marathoners who at that point are all pretty much walking. Um, and, and it's just stuff is flying everywhere. People's hats are flying off. Water cups are flying through the air. Leaves are flying around. Like they're like little leaf tornadoes. It's just like almost again, laughable. And, um, and, and it's, I think it's, you know, amplified because you're in the city and it's like a, a, air, like a wind tunnel effect. So, um, but you know, you, you eventually get to the finish line and what was really nice was um, one of our runners, Jessica Averbuck, had done the um, half marathon and she had tracked me and she was tracking Lori as well. And she knew I'd finished. So she came over and found me in the finish shoot and said hi to me. And she, I went back out with her to watch um, Paul and Lori finish because she was tracking them and knew that they were coming coming shortly. So, um, so uh, all in all, I will say it was a, a very great race, great city, really well organized, you know, very huge kudos to the race organization. We know, you know, we talked to Rob Mullet on our podcast several weeks ago, and we know how much hard work goes into this. And all I could think about all weekend was they are probably scrambling right now to, with contingency plans for humidity, for wind, you know, just so many different things come into play. Their medical staff probably had to step it up. Their volunteers that they have coming out, like, you know, how many volunteers backed out? How many, how, how do you make sure this goes off smoothly? And I just thought, I mean, they didn't have the start line up, uh, you know, they couldn't put up a lot of the, I think the higher, you know, the start, there was no finish, um, you know, finish, uh, whatever you call it, you know, banner at the finish. You didn't really know where the finish line was because of the high winds, they couldn't have them up. So, so really kudos to them for a really well organized race. My, my two, I wouldn't even call them critiques, but my two things I'd point out to people who are thinking of running this race would be first, the condition of the roads, just to watch and make sure you know that you don't end up tripping in a pothole. Um, just keep your eye out on that. And the other thing that surprised me was that there were a lot of cars on the course. Um, I know they have to, you know, they go through neighborhoods and they don't entirely shut down the roads. And they were letting, they had volunteers who were letting cars come 
onto the course when there were clearing, you know, when there was a kind of clear spot on the course. Um, but there were a couple, a couple sketchy areas where there were like cars coming towards us on the course. Again, who knows, you know, there may have been volunteers that weren't at their stations because of the weather and people were just driving onto parts of the course. Um, there are some parts of the course where it's coned off, but you're running alongside um, open roads. So that, that surprised me that there were, there were a lot of places where there were cars on the course, but nothing, you know, nothing unsafe, nothing that I was ever worried about, but just something that surprised me. I think we're used to being on courses that are totally shut down to traffic and um, and these these weren't totally. So those were the two things I would point out just to take into consideration for people to know, but otherwise highly recommend, even with weather, highly recommend um, this course. The course was just, the course is not entirely flat. There are rolling, um, slight rolling hills, which I think was great because it changes the muscles that you're using. Um, I think it was, I actually prefer that. So some slight rolling hills, nothing anybody who trains in our area would not be prepared for, nothing at any bad timing um, in the course. Um, goes through a lot of really pretty areas of, of India, although I will fully admit I was not really paying attention to where we were because I was so watching my footing in front of me and so focused on on just on, on the course and on the wind and on you know finding people that I, I didn't really take it all in, but what I did take in was beautifully we went through Butler University, which is just a really pretty campus. Um, so lots of really pretty areas of the city. I think on a beautiful day, it would be quite an amazing experience. So I highly, highly recommend um, and, and really, like I, I said on my Facebook page, the lesson that I just learned is that, you know, you get the day that you get. If you decide to race on that day, you just accept it and you get out there and you do the best with that day that you can. And it may not be what you would have done on a perfect day, but find other other victories, find other ways to, to you know, to, to gauge your success and, um, and know it's going to be a great story in the end and really um, you know, I, I remember Heather McCurdy saying when she was talking to the ShakeOut Run group, she said, you remember Boston 2018 and you remember Des won, but do you remember her finish time? Most people don't remember her finish time. Her finish time was like, I, it's like 15 minutes off of what her, her normal times would be. So that was not a good finish time for her. But, you know, you remember what she did on that day. You remember that she won. Um, so, you know, you, you, you remember showing up and, and, and that's what, that's what you remember. And, and again, you just have to, we talk about this all the time. You've got to control, you can only control the controllables. We could not control the weather. We could not push that front out and not let it come through. Like right when the race was starting that, that was going to happen. So it's then what do you do to respond to that? And how do you make it your best, have your best day given the day that you're, that you're dealt. So that, that was a, a, an important lesson for me. And, and as dreading as, as much as I was dreading the weather, it was bad and it was not ideal conditions, but it was bearable. It was not, it wasn't Boston 2018. It wasn't, um, it wasn't as bad as I had made it out in my head to be. You know, once you get out there and you just put your head down and you start doing your thing, it, it, you just, you know, you get through it. So those were kind of my important takeaways. Well, there's one more takeaway and that is that you finished this race in 317. I'll give you another minute. Wind adjusted. And I, you know, I very much believe based on other finished times of other folks that you, you had a sub 310 in you. I know that wasn't necessarily your goal, but based on what you did out there in, in the winds, in the humidity, I, I very much believe that you, you, would have finished just under 310. That's that's my prediction. I'm usually pretty right about your race time. Okay. So just give that to me. But the takeaway is that you ran all of your training runs uh, throughout your training, not just on the hotter days this summer, but throughout your training between a pace of nine and 10. 
yep. nine and 10 minute miles. You didn't really run any of your training runs in the eights. And that's a huge takeaway because your average pace was in the sevens. And, um, I think that the lesson here is that what you run during your training is not reflective of what you can run during your racing. And you can speak a little bit more about that, but I think it's something we talk about here a lot, but Lisa, you walk the walk. I, I will say I, I walk that walk as well. I think it's super important to pay attention to what your easy runs look like. And you did that throughout your entire training cycle. And it wasn't because you had felt forced to slow down because on it was hot and humid. You do very well in humidity. It's because that is your sweet spot when you're doing your training runs that allow you to continue to increase your mileage while recovering in between runs. So do you want to speak on that a little bit more? Yeah. And I think it's taken a really long time to get to that point of, um, of confidence, um, in training and, and, uh, you know, I, it's, it's, it's putting ego aside. You've got to put ego aside and it's hard to look down at your watch. For me, it's hard to look down at my watch and see that I run it, you know, my, my 20 mile training run at like nine 30, when I think, well, I should be able to run it like at least nines or sub nines or even putting in, if we go and put my, you know, we use a race pace app that we can put in uh, somebody's race time. And then it kind of extrapolates what their uh, training paces are and their other uh, race distances, what their, what their times. But if you put in my marathon time. So we'll, you know, put in what I just ran and, and we look to see what my training paces should be. My, my long run training pace should be according to this app, 804 to 854 per mile. I will tell you, none of my long runs are in that range. I, I really don't think not that I can recall because they were all at least nine minutes around. So, so even going by that, you know, standards, my, my, my training runs are, are slow, but I also go by feel like I I'm not out there to win my training. I'm not out there. I, I, I intentionally don't use Strava for my running because I don't want that temptation to have to compete or, um, you know, be under the microscope of, of other people who are asked, wondering why I'm running so slow or why I'm running fast or why I'm running a certain distance, or, you know, I don't feel like I, I need that. I have the my, you know, just over the years have built that, um, kind of that, that confidence finally that it, it works for me. Um, you know, I know that it, it allows me to get in a good amount of mileage. Like I can get in some pretty high mileage when I run easy, easier mileage. Um, and it's just what feels right to me. And I, I will say that, um, having races back this training cycle, I think helped me gain fitness. And that's sort of always been pre COVID was always my, my MO was I never did track work. I don't do uh, group speed workouts. I don't do that. I would do races that would kind of serve as my, my challenges and my, my speed work. And then COVID came and we didn't have any. And I felt that um, my first race back from COVID was, um, it was a really hard, hot day, but it was a half, it was the Frederick half marathon uh, last year in the summer when they did kind of a COVID ish delayed race and they had no water on the course and I didn't bring water. So that wasn't very smart, but I had a really, really slow for me, half marathon. It was really discouraging, but I had done no racing, you know, for, for a year and a half, I had done no racing. So I'd done only, you know, my, and I, you know, only my slow, easy runs and I had done no racing. So, um, so I just, I, I know for myself that I can do 99% of my training at this slow, easy pace. I can throw in some races and those races keep me sharpened. And I did this time, I did the cycle. I think I did two 5Ks. I did a half marathon. I did army 10 miler. So I had those races in my build up this time. So it's not a ton. It's not like I'm doing a race every week, but it, it had 
I had those in my buildup, but then uh, those races give me the confidence to go out and run an easy. I know I can run at a 10 mile or at 110, you know, finish in 110. So, so if I can do that, I know that it's okay that I go out and I run my training run at nine to nine 30. Like I, I'm not out to prove anything in, in my training run. So it has worked for me. It's like I said, been able to keep my mileage up. I felt healthy and also just mentally healthy. Like I don't feel the stress and pressure of training. Um, I, I enjoy training. I like to go out and I just run what feels, what feels good to me. So, um, like you said that your, your, your paces, there are no medals for training. So your paces that you can run in training are not, we always tell our runners this too, that they'll say like, well, my training paces were this, what do you think my race paces can be? We have no idea. Like there is no way to reverse extrapolate a race pace from your training paces. The only way to really gauge where your race paces might be is to race. So if you go out or, and you race, do a, or do a time trial, time in trial training, right. which is right. a race. Yes. But yes. Yeah. yeah. Time trials, I think are hard though, because you don't have that adrenaline that you have on race day. I think time trials, they are definitely can, you can use them, but I think they're for me, that's, I, I don't think I can do a time trial at times that I can run an actual race. So, um, so, so yeah. So I, like you said, I, I, I think there is so much, um, and there's a real temptation to look at whether it's Strava or social media, people posting what they're doing and saying, oh crap, should I be able doing that? Or, or should I, you know, am I not going to be able to race well because I'm not doing, and we've had runners come to us before and say, I'm watching all these other people train do X, Y, Z. Why am I not doing it? And we say, because you're not that person. And that's not your, you know, that's not you. That's their training. This is your training. You really have to block out all that noise. And, and it's, it's, it's hard to do because it's so easy to get sucked into that. Now um, training is so visible. Like you can make it so it's so transparent if you just choose to share share your, your data. And, and I think, you know, there's some degree too of, um, of competition, especially when you're, when you're in a running community and, and you've got friends and teammates and people that are watching you and you feel like maybe you have to perform. So I've had to put a lot of that aside and just block that out and just say, that's not me. That's not what's working for me. And look, Paul did it too. We, we trained together and he, he just qualified for Boston for 2024 with our nice, slow, easy training and on a, on a hard day. So, Yay. so it worked for him too. So it's not just an experiment of one and it's experiment of two. Um, and that's why I appreciate him. You, you know, for, for forever, I never ran with anybody because I always just wanted to, I need to run my pace. I can't try to keep up with somebody or I can't worry about that. So um, I'm always grateful as, as my running buddy that he, you know, that he always was willing to, he'll just run whatever you know, or I'll run what he needs to run. Like if on a day he's, you know, feeling like he's slower, like we just, we know that it's, there's again, no ego amigo. There's no need to, to hit certain paces and show a certain pace, um, on your watch at the end. And, and, it, and it, works. so, um, that's, that's all I have to say about that. Well, congratulations. And I'm super excited for you. Also very excited for Paul. This was a long time coming and extremely happy for him that he was able to achieve that um, in such tough conditions. So um, looking forward to seeing him in Boston in 2024 and happy that you did it. Also happy that you ran a race that was so smart and you came out of it with um, pride in doing something that you were feeling uncertain of and also recognizing that you, you know that you can rise to a challenge. You've run a lot of races in different weather conditions, but it's been a long time, as you mentioned, because of COVID, we're all a little rusty with our racing, even though we now have two Bostons under our belt from 2021 and 2022. Um, it's still not quite the same. And I think this fall, just having races back and having the opportunity to test our fitness 
um, test your fitness in that environment is comforting. And uh, yeah, I echo all your sentiments. As I mentioned earlier, I run my piece, my easy runs very easy. It is what helps to keep me injury free. And um, I plan to continue doing that for my training as well. Um, so moving on from Indy, the next day, of course, was New York and that was more weather drama. Oh my gosh. And, uh, we just want to give a shout out to all of the New York city marathoners, particularly our run farther and faster runners who went out there and ran gutsy races in the worst of conditions for a fall marathon. Anyone who was acclimated over the summer and ran this race in September, while it would have been hard, it would have been a slightly more doable than those who went out and ran this race on Sunday, because basically we all lost our acclimation unless you live in Florida or a, a tropical Israel. Planet, Hawaii, <laughs> um, we all lost our acclimation or most of it. And, and while certainly we trained in those conditions, expecting our bodies to respond similarly as, as we had in August and September, two months later in November is, is an impossible task. And what we appreciate about all of our runners who went out there and ran New York is how accepting they were by Friday and Saturday of the fact that this, this isn't going to be the PR race that I was hoping it would be. And one by one, we, we chatted on final surge, you know, or had conversations with our runners um, on the phone about how the race plan we sent you last Sunday night is now kind of moot because when we sent this last Sunday night, this weather didn't look this way. And now we need to change our goals and we need to change how you approach this race. And we're so sorry, but you're going to have to run your race at least 20 to 30 seconds per mile slower than what you were training to run this race in. And accepting this and, and just sort of leaning into it and recognizing that this strategy would serve them well is what everyone did. We didn't have a single runner who went out there on Sunday and ran stupid fast at the beginning of their race. They they really didn't. Every single runner of ours uh, really took the heat and humidity seriously and ran wisely. And while some of our runners responded slightly better to the conditions than others, it's certainly not at all reflective of, of their race strategy or lack thereof. Again, it's biology. It's how we all respond to heat and humidity is different. And we just want to give a huge shout out to everyone um, on our team who went out there and, and ran the New York City Marathon on Sunday. We are so proud of each and every one of you. We, we are slowly but surely featuring each and every one of you on our social media accounts because we are so incredibly proud of you. And whether it was the race you thought you could do or not, you did it. And you're going to have an epic story for the rest of your days because this is going to be known as the hot New York City Marathon for at least the next 20 years. And uh, yeah, global warming is a real thing. It does affect our racing. And now you know that you are able to run a marathon in these absurd conditions. And in doing so, you recognize that it's not that you can control the weather, but you can control how you respond to it. And each and every one of you responded to the weather in such a smart way. And we couldn't be prouder of our runners as a result. Yep. Everybody finished, which is, is sounds <laughs> trivial, but it is not based on, um, you know, what happened to a lot of people that had to be taken off the course or had to take themselves off the course. Um, so, so really it became a, a question of survival and being smart and, um, and, and all of our runners. And, um, you know, this is something I thought about at my race too, is that we're, we trained to show up as fit as possible on race day and, and give our best effort, whatever those conditions are. And, and, um, that's, you know, all of our runners were well-trained 
and, and they showed up and they performed on race day. And it may not have been the finish time that they would have expected or would have had on a cooler day, but they performed and they finished that race because they were well-trained um, and, and because they were smart about, about their races. So um, just the fact, and I know, it, you know, it sounds cliche, but just the fact that they finished, but it really is true. And a lot of our runners, that was their original goal was, was you know, to finish healthy and, and they all did. And that was really important and something I personally, as I watched the tracking and as I heard, you know, reports coming in, I was worried about people just staying healthy and safe because I said, most people, most people's bodies really can't tolerate that type of heat for a marathon. And that's a long, long distance. And the course is crowded. It's, you know, it's hot anyway. It was sunny. Like, you know, there were, it's tough conditions on a good day and, and to add the heat like that, that was, um, I'm, I'm just glad that all of our runners were smart and they executed well and they all finished and, and finished well and finished. And they were all, you know, everyone we talked to was happy and, and, um, grateful and, and had an amazing experience because it is the New York city marathon and it is an amazing experience. So, um, they all, they all appreciated that. So, um, you know, I, I am sure we will be having conversations and I'm sure there are people who are thinking about, well, do I get another shot on this training cycle? And we can just talk, uh, you know, talk briefly about that. And, you know, it really depends on what your goal is. You've got a first look and we, we, we have a podcast we did about, you know, I, I forget which episode it was, where we talked about kind of the decision tree of, of another race. Um, but it really depends on, you know, on, on a lot of different factors. Um, but it is certainly uh, plausible to think that, you know, four to six weeks out that you might consider um, trying, you know, using your fitness that you developed over the training, over your training cycle at a different race, but a lot of different factors go into that. So our runners, we'd certainly want to talk to you about that uh, on an individual basis. And anyone who's listening, who's thinking about it, would certainly want to talk that through um, with a coach or, or some professional, somebody who's a little bit unbiased, who can, who can talk to you about um, doing that the right way. Yeah, because the takeaway is even if your time was slower, your effort was hard on Sunday and your body has to recover from that. Your body doesn't know that you ran a race time that was uh, slower than what you should have done based on your training. And um, the effort is, is hard and that hard effort needs substantial recovery, arguably even more recovery than if you ran a marathon in more, uh, cooler conditions. So absolutely consult with an expert, consult with someone who can take a look at your training. And if you're in doubt, lean into it, be proud of what you did and, and don't diminish your accomplishment by looking ahead and saying, I got to run another race in the cycle. Your, we say this all the time, your fitness gains from this training cycle build upon each other for the next one. So if you're on the fence and you're not sure, first and foremost, is it going to make you happy? to do more training in the same cycle, or would you like to just take this and then use these, these miles and this training toward a future training cycle for a marathon or whatever race you want to do for the spring. And that's very wise too. And we just hope that people are spending this week who ran New York being super proud of what you did out there. The weather was impossible to hit your goals. And if you did hit your goals, then you're a unicorn, but in congratulations, but if you didn't, that is certainly not a reflection of your fitness at all. And we're just so proud, particularly of our runners, each and every one of you for what you did out there on Sunday. Amen. Absolutely.
Amen. So speaking of spring races, if you've stuck with us this long, thanks guys. Uh, we are, we just opened registration for our group Boston Marathon training program. Uh, we love this program. It's called RFF to BOS, Run Farther and Faster to Boston. And we'd love for you all to join us. And spots are limited. We don't say that as a marketing gimmick, but truly spots are limited so that we can provide uh, the attention that our runners need to be able to successfully uh, com complete the Boston Marathon with the right training. We continue to offer individual coaching. And if you are thinking about using us for Boston, uh, we would love to talk with you. But uh, please reach out to us soon because we like to start people off for that in December as Boston is in April. And uh, Lisa, I would be remiss if I didn't address this. Today is officially our 13-year anniversary. Oh. We met each other today um, You're right. in 2009. Happy anniversary. I think oh, we talked oh about my this gosh. Before, but it is actually today that we met. And wow, I can't believe it. What a gift. Did your memory pop up on Facebook? Is that yes. how you remember from that race? Yes. That is so funny. Insane. Yes. We met, we met at a, what was it? It was a, some kind of, it was a half marathon in 5k and I had trained a group to, to walk the 5k and I was there for that. And you were running the half marathon. It was I like a women's gynecological. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was exactly right. It was in DC and there was some sort of women's gynecology conference and they had a half marathon. How funny is that? But it was a great course. And I went down there and ran it and met you and what a gift that was. And I have the pictures they are in my memories too. <laughs> amazing. And, and funny, yes, it was the, uh, I'm trying to see what it says. I, I just said, uh, no, I just is so proud of my team for completing a 5k. This was, I, I this is a funny story. I was a, I was a, a an Omron pedometer um, <laughs> ambassador and they had the, the team go smart and that they provided us with pedometers to give our team and then, you know, walk the 5k. And, and that's what my team did. And that is my neighbor and good friend, Jen Feinstein said, uh, you'll have to, you know, she had told me about you before that race. And then when we were there, she said, oh, she's here. You have to meet her. And she introduced us at that race on this day. Wow. That's amazing. In 2009. Thank you for pointing that out. That totally made my day. I wish Yay. I had a picture of the two of us meeting. Um, but what a fun, what a fun memory. So yes. happy 13th. Happy 13th. And here we are. And uh, wow. we, fun. we continue to coach. So yeah, here we are. And with 31 Boston marathons between us, we, we can honestly say that we, we, we know this race, uh, as well or better than most people. And that's because we've been insane enough to run it that many times collectively. <laughs> and, uh, we look forward to being back this year and, uh, we look forward to training many of our listeners. So if you're out there listening, please check out the link, um, and register soon. And Lisa, congratulations again. I'm so proud of you. I know so many of our listeners are inspired by your story and just really thrilled that you are on the other side. So proud of all of our runners who ran gutsy races this weekend. And uh, yeah, here's to a great week and continue to recover. And um, congratulations. Bye. You too, Julie. Bye. Thank Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryant. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. 
Thanks for listening and have a great week.